Welcome to the Community of Hope Church podcast. Our church exists to interest disinterested people in Jesus Christ and then grow together into fully devoted followers of Him. So wherever you are, we hope you find this message helpful, practical, and applicable to your life. God bless. We are in week, I think it's week number four, in a series uh, in our church we're calling the series Asking for a Friend. And we're kind of burrowing in, if you will, to some of the nagging, pesky questions that sort of emerge when real life connects with growing faith. And from time to time, this is what we do in our church because uh, we have a passion to help people take the next step in their Christian journey. And so I'm excited about this series. And today I'm super excited about this topic because this topic, I think, um, if you will, it carries an extra layer of importance to it that I want to take a moment to explain. This is why we do this uh, in our church. Now, for those of you that uh, may remember, on the 29th, so I think it's two weeks from now, we're going to invite Kathy Copain on the stage. She's been our executive director of discipleship for uh, 17 years. She and Vic are going to move to Boston, and uh, we're going to invite them on the stage. And, and with Kathy, we're going to, you know, pummel her with questions for a whole 35-hour, 35-minute uh, period. It's my last time to really kind of put her on the hot spot live in the room. But so you can go to communityofhope.com church slash, I believe, asking. And if you have a particular question about life and faith, we're going to seek to answer those in that format two weeks from now. But today's question is super important, and here's why. The way that you answer this question will determine the picture that you form in your mind and heart of who God is. And then based on the picture that you form in your mind and your heart, as to who God is, it will, in, it will determine your willingness or ability to trust God with every area of your life. So this is super, super uh, important. And so let me give you the question that I want us to deal with today. And, and to be honest with you, to be fully uh, disclosive, this is less a question and it's more a statement I often hear. And here, here is the question or the statement. So does everything happen for a reason? Say that with me. Does everything happen for a reason? And I want to go first and tell you, I don't think so. And so when we answer that question, I'm, I'm going to come out. I'm not going to play Switzerland here. I don't normally do that anyway. And I'm just going to tell you, I don't think so. But there's a context around how we would understand that. You and I have, we've all been in places in our lives and we either in our own life or maybe the life of someone else, something happens. Usually it's something difficult or challenging and we're trying to make sense of it. And this is sometimes how we'll answer the question or we'll hear people say it. They'll go, well, it'll all be okay. It'll work out because after all, everything happens for a reason. And here's what I want to ask you. Does it? Does it? And I want to tell you on the very front end of this, um, as a bit of a disclaimer, that um, this is a huge question and wise, intelligent, thoughtful, theologically framed, fully devoted followers of Jesus disagree in this question. 
Entire denominations have been built around this question. So here's what I want to tee up for everybody in the room and those of you who are streaming the service online. This is not an existential question that P. Diddy just wants us to answer today. This is a live question in the room because the way you answer it will determine the picture you form in your mind and heart about who God is, and that picture will inform the way that you or the degree of the ability you will manifest in your trust of God. So this is big thing. I was thinking about the, the pictures that we form of God, and I, I, we did a little Google search in our teaching team, and we said, what are, what are, ch- what are children's images of God? And we, we have a couple that I want to show you. Here's, here's one. This is uh, Angel, I think, uh, five. She said, God is a superhero for the world. That's a beautiful picture. Here's my favorite one this morning. This guy says this, God lives inside every living thing, so my doctor has seen God when he cuts people open. And I have a friend of mine who's a surgeon that was in the room at nine o'clock, and he just said, amen to that, you know? And then I think we might even have, is there another one, or is that all we have? Yeah, this is God at his cloud desk, so this is, this is where we are. But we all have images and thoughts around the idea uh, of God, and we're, we have to make a decision. You can't not decide. Now, a few weeks ago, I shared a story that I want to just reference here again, not so much to repeat, but to sort of underscore the importance of this question for the room. There were these two guys about a century, a century and a half ago, one by the name of William Clifford and one by the name of William James. William Clifford was a mathematician. And he was writing a statement, a paper, kind of as a philosophical paper that said, it's never right to believe in anything unless you can have 100% proof that what you believe in is actually true. Does that sound like a mathematician? He's a mathematician. And uh, William James, who was a counterpart in his day, Um, wrote, and this got a lot of fire back then, he wrote to William Clifford uh, in his paper, The Ethic of Belief, and he challenged Clifford's idea. And basically what he said is this, he said, uh, and some of you have heard me say this, he said, no, sometimes there are very good reasons to believe what you believe, even if something can't be true, or can't be proved, I mean. And he said, this is really true true in three categories. If the, and he said this, if the issue is live, which meant um, it's present, you're in this situation, you're forced toward a decision. Secondly, he said, if it's momentous, like if the, if the issue, the problem, the dilemma, the question, if it has incredible relevance, right? Like if it's important, we're not talking about ice cream flavors. We're talking about something that's relevant and important to your life. And then lastly, he said, if a decision is forced, and this is what he meant, to, to, to not to decide is to decide no. Now think with me for a moment about this. The reason I reference this again is this is what we're often forced with in the issues of faith. Like here we are, we're living our lives, stuff is happening in our lives, and we are navigating our belief and our trust in this God who has come as a human being, lived a sinless life, died a sinless 
death, was resurrected out of the grave. That's a lot to believe. And so when we're forced in these decisions on this side of eternity, here's what we understand about faith. If I, if I don't decide, I'm deciding no. I'm deciding against it. Now, this is incredibly relevant when we, when we come to an issue in a moment like this. Because again, here's what I want to say. The way you answer that question will determine what your picture of God becomes. And the picture that you have of God will determine your willingness, if you will, to trust in him or not. Now, and here's what I know. A lot of us who are here, this is a wrestle point. This is why this has relevance. This is why we're bringing it up in this series. This is why somebody asked about this question. Because, you know, here's what I think is behind it. We're navigating stuff. Sometimes stuff happens. We look at the world. We see things that doesn't make sense. Is God real? Can he be trusted? Is all this stuff kind of going on? These are, these are big, big questions. And how we answer the question determines how far we're willing to go with our trust. Well, I thought of a verse of Scripture that I wanted to uh, show you, and I wanted to have us um, take a deeper look at it. Now, it's a passage of Scripture that is very familiar to us. Even this, if you don't really knock around church a lot, or you're coming back, or you're new, or this whole thing, you might have even run into this Scripture. In fact, I would even tell you, you might even have it memorized, even if you don't have a lot of you know, experience around church. It takes place in Matthew chapter 6, and um, Jesus is teaching. There are five huge sections of teaching in the Gospel of Matthew. They're called discourses. This is discourse number one. And he's teaching about prayer. And in Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, he begins to teach, and he teaches us what we now know historically as this, the Lord's Prayer. Many of us could say it. There's the familiarity with it. And this is what Jesus says in verse 9. I'm going to pick up at verse 9, read through verse 13. This, Jesus said, this then is how you should pray. Okay? So this is how we should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now, in various translations of that, that is the Lord's Prayer. But there's a verse in the Lord's Prayer that I think is, is it's where this question, it's where this statement shows up. And because we're in a series right now where I'm inviting you to love God with your mind, right? Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. I want to poke at it. I believe it's verse, I think it's verse 11, it's verse 10. And the verse says this, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. There it is. Now, here's what I want to ask you. Your king, how does God's kingdom come to earth? How does heaven 
come to earth? Is this, is Jesus inviting us to pray an actual prayer? Like if we pray that prayer, that there are places where God's kingdom will come on earth? I mean, certainly we would all look around the world and we can see beautiful things. We can see things with meaning and purpose. And, you know, I'm a lover of outdoors. I, I just spend every moment when I'm not in ministry, I would prefer to be outdoors, preferably even on the water. The good friend in the room who's in this service with me, Mark and I will paddleboard a lot. And, and this is something that we really enjoy. And oftentimes when I'm paddleboarding, I can look at the creation around me and go, God, this, this is just beautiful. And this is how I feel God's, you know, presence. And so we can say that, but, but, but I think it's how we look at that phrase, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Are we to sur- surmise his kingdom is not yet fully on earth as it is in heaven? Or is it, is it already there and already running and, and these prayers just help us get our own minds and hearts around the reality of that? That's a big question. Now again, lots of churches have conversations around this and so we're at the place in our lives and our church where we must have this question. And uh, when I think about this, and when I study this, and when I look at this, broadly speaking, we can move this conversation into two very big areas. And again, how you answer it is a way will determine your view, your your picture of God, and your willingness to trust in this God. One view is uh, known as this. Just largely speaking, we would call it the blueprint view. And the blueprint view sort of goes like this. Um, God has set his purposes in motion. The world is running uh, as it should run. Every single thing that happens in our lives is by design, hence the idea, everything that happens, there's a divine reason for every single thing that happens. We would uh, look at verses of Scripture that would support this view. One Scripture might be Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11, where Paul is writing and he says, So in him we uh, were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose to his will. So every single thing that happens in our lives is part of God's unfolding plan in the blueprint view. So, so every good thing that happens. So like when I was in seminary and I, I met, I, I sat next to a guy in class who would become my friend and over time would become uh, my best friend. And now we've had a, a best friend relationship and accountability relationship as pastors for I don't know, 35, 36 years. It got it a design and a plan for that. Uh, when, when Beth one day walked into that same room in that same class and, and I met her for the very first time and then eventually asked her out and she said, yes, praise God. <laughs> and, and, and all of that was as a design. Now, here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that these things are not gifts from God, right? We know that James... The half-brother of Jesus says, for every good gift comes from the Father 
in whom there is, from the Father of lights, in whom there's no shifting shadow. So we know those are gifts, but was all that designed, all, all the good things? This is the question. And if we trust in that view, we'd have to say this. Here's the biggie. All the bad things are exactly going as planned. You ever look around the world and see bad things? Like we would go, the Holocaust. Was that planned? Uh, Natural disasters. That designed as planned? Uh, the war in the Ukraine. Where do, we, where do we file that? Where do we put it? What about our own lives? Uh, many of us are here. All of us are here, really. All of us, right? You've got stuff. I've got stuff. You've got stuff. Where do we file with our faith categorically the stuff that we struggle with? I mean, was that a plan? Is it we were just uh, so so this God we're here worshiping? He's the author of good. He's he's the author of bad. Now the blueprint view largely says to that, yes. Now here's here's where that gets to be problematic sometimes. And again, people disagree. Uh, I see as a pastor sometimes when I'm called alongside of that. Uh, people, people are wrestling to trust in the goodness of a God that might have planned badness in our lives. That's fair. I remember years ago, uh, I was reading a book uh, just a year or so back uh, called Lemons on Friday. I think I mentioned it. Uh, this is Maddie Selectman, uh, Jackson Selectman. Her dad is actually Alan Jackson, the country music singer. And uh, she was married less than a year. They were here in Jupiter. And uh, her husband was getting on her, her, her dad's boat, slipped, hit his head, and after two weeks uh, in ICU, died in St. Mary's Hospital. And she was wrestling with that. A more recent book is a I want to show you is called um, Lord Willing. This is Jessica Kelly and her beautiful son uh, Henry, who developed cancer and died. And both of these women wrestle with God's role in very difficult places. See, this is not an existential question. I have a friend of mine who said this to me. It was existential until something happened to me that I couldn't file right. And we get it. Now, the other view is uh, we have the blueprint view. Now, the other view is, is kind of interesting, and I'm going to name again, uh, this would be where I'm at. It's called the warfare view. And the warfare view kind of lays along this similar track, that the world you and I are living in is not currently operating the way it was originally designed to operate. It's been changed in some way. 
And that view, uh, you find its consistency in Scripture around images like this. You read Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2. Everything's perfect. It's just absolutely beautiful. It is working on design. And then you get to Genesis 3, and sin happens, and something in the story shifts. And in fact, it even uses a word we sang a moment ago. It's like a curse has fallen on the world. And, and, and this view lines up that um, God doesn't design bad things, but there's a force in the world that does. And we would find this in scriptures like this, and maybe you've read this scripture. This happens in the book of Ephesians, chapter 6, verse 12. And Paul writes this. He says, you know, for our struggle, look at this very closely, is not actually against flesh and blood, but it's against rulers. It's against the authorities. Look at this. Against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms. Wow. And so Paul would line up around this idea that it would sound a little something like this. So the evil, the bad, the wrong in the world isn't a problem to be solved. It's a force to be overthrown. Could it be that when Jesus invited us to pray and he said, I want you to pray, and one of the prayers I want you to pray is is this prayer. Lord, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. That that's actually like, that's a prayer of battle. That's a That's a prayer of a position to push against. Now, I want you to know what your lead pastor thinks. I think so. I believe so. Because I am one who, if if God is the author of stuff that's broken and bad in my life, At some point, I'm going to face a broken and bad that is going to challenge my ability to trust in his goodness. Let me go backwards if I can a little bit. I learned a long time ago that when I am missing some information, uh, and like say maybe with a person, and there's a gap that is formed, Uh, maybe there's something that I don't understand or something that... uh, you know, is is come between us. I, I I'm forced with a decision. I, I can put trust in the gap. Like, say, as an employer, um, I have a coworker that I've invited to an important meeting. I'm depending on, and they and they come very late to the meeting. They kind of blow the meeting out. I, I'm forced with a decision. I could go. You know what? This is a this is a great person. Uh, they're they're a deep contributor to the team. This is very unlike their character. There must be a very good reason they're late, and I can manifest trust. Or, or right, 
I could put suspicion there. You know what? He does this every single time. I don't really think he's a contributor. And I think there's something nefarious going on. I don't think he really understands. And see, I start building all that. We do this with human beings all the time, right? Trust or suspicion. Here's what I want you to know. You do the same thing with God. Something happens in your life. You're forced in that moment. I think William James is right. You're forced. I can put trust there. Scripture tells me God is good. Tells me God is good every time. Tells me he is for me, not against me. Tells me all these kinds of things. Or I can put suspicion. And if I'm trying to wrestle the bad things and something terrible befalls me and somebody comes up to me and says, well, it'll be all right. After all, you know, everything happens for a reason. I'm going to struggle with that. Let me tell you where I think we get off. I think the nexus point of this is actually in something Paul said in the book of Romans, chapter 8, verse 28. And I want to show it to you. Paul says this, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Let me read it again. And we know that in all things God works for the good. Now, here's what here's what I'll tell you. It's not saying... God causes all things. Notice that? Notice it? It's saying God works for the good in all things to those who love him and call according to his purpose. This is where we misunderstand. What if, church, what if the stuff that brings you in here the broken, the bad, the pain, the loss, the silence, the hurt. What if we actually have an enemy that wants to harm us? Doesn't the scripture say that the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy? And then Jesus says, I've come that you might have what? Life. What if it's that? And what if, according to Romans 8.28, God is working redemptively to restore? I want to draw your attention to two things around this important topic and we'll be done. It's in this verse. One is this, I would just say, when you look at Romans 8.28, here's what I would tell everybody in the room, everybody streaming right now, I would say, trust God. Because here's what I want you to notice if we take it one more closer look at Romans 8.28. That is, that is a principle that has a condition applied to it. Throw, the, throw if you can, that verse up there again, Romans 8.28. For God, for we know that in all things God works for the good of those, look at this, of those who love him. This is a moment, I think, for many of us. If you've not yet decided for Jesus, like this is a moment to say, Lord, I need your redemptive working power in my life. I need you to take what's broken and bad, what's just messy, what's awful, and I want to invite you to begin your redemptive work in that. This is literally what Paul's saying. He'll do it. Here's what I'm learning more and more in my life. 
God comes where he's welcome. Is he welcome in your life? And then I want to say one other thing there. Not only is it a way to trust God, I, I think Paul's kind of giving us an indicator of the real purpose and meaning of life, that we can partner with God in his redemptive work. A lot of times, the way God redeems things is through his people. I talk to people all the time. There's no rhyme or reason to life. There's no meaning. And I want to go, there's deep meaning to life. It's good to be here because we get to partner with God in his redemptive Agency is redemptive work around the world. It's the best way to live your life. To get up every day and go, God, you are at work in our town, in our community, in our city. And today, God, wherever you're at work and you want me to be involved, I say yes. That's a powerful thing. But here's what I want to tell you as we close. I think God is good. I think he's good every time. And I think, I really believe, we have an enemy who wants to destroy things. And God is redeeming things. Heaven is coming to earth. And one day, heaven will restore the earth. And this is a great reason to have hope. It's the right way to file these things in our lives. Lord, I pray for my friends. This is a big day for us here because, Lord, um, we just continue on in a season where the struggle is real. Would you remind us, Lord, that you're good, that you're not against us, you're for us, Would you remind us that, Lord, as we invite you and we're welcoming you into our lives, that that part of that promise becomes true for us, that you can work redemptively in whatever is breaking our heart right now in this moment. Might it be a place where we don't have to believe you've authored all of that, but that you can work in it and cause good even in the midst of what is maybe the most painful moment of our lives. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your mercy. And thank you for your grace. In Jesus' name, and everyone said. You know, at another time, Paul wrote this. He said, I hasn't seen, ear hasn't heard, nor has it entered into the heart of all humankind all that God has prepared for those who love him. Give him your life. Invite him into your heart. Ask him to be your Lord and your leader, your forgiver and your friend and get on the journey to his goodness and his grace. I pray that for every single one of you and everyone watching. Lord, your mercy is good. It's real. It's new every morning. Give us the courage, oh God, to fling our lives into trusting you fully and never doubting your character or who you are. This we pray in Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Go in his mercy. We'll see you next weekend.